No, this is this is an amazing opportunity interview with the legendary Jeff Tate from the band Queensryche. Now Jeff Tate himself. Um, Jeff, first off, thank you so much for taking the time to do this, and we wanted to wish you a belated happy birthday for January 14th. I'm still celebrating my birthday all month long. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> now it's just the tour of the world in the meantime. Well, so happy birthday is the first thing that we wanted to say. And thank you so much for joining us. Uh, oh, Jeff Tate you. is going to be performing this Wednesday, February 1st at Pepper's Club uh, in San Jose, Costa Rica with an awesome band called Slavon that's opening up for you guys. They're really, really good. So you're going to have a, a nice opening act for that show. And it's a, it's a great venue as well. Awesome promoters as well. LPG Productions does a great job down there. All right. So uh, let's start off with the, basically our, we want to get into you and to you, Jeff, and like, you know, everything in, in, in your life, the, the important stuff, right? Music stuff is important, okay. but just, but you know, we do things a little bit differently. Um, you well, it all in, started when I was 14 years old. And, oh, we're going to uh, get there. Oh, <laughs> oh, there. Yeah. That's where we got there. You were born in Germany. Okay, and then you moved to Tacoma, Washington um, when you were very young. Your mom's side of the family is from New Orleans, Louisiana. What kind of music do you remember listening to when you were growing up as a kid in the house? Oh, I think everything, really. Um, my family was very musical. My dad played uh, trumpet and clarinet, and uh, we had a piano at the house, and uh, we had music all the time. So I, I grew up with uh, standards, um, I grew up with uh, gospel music. Uh, later, I I discovered uh, rock and roll, and um, I've kind of been surrounded by music all my life. Really, that's awesome. Do you remember like a certain genre or like some stuff when you were growing up that you were like, "Oh man, this is like I I remember like my grandmother used to play classical music for me when I was a kid, and that's what like kind of inspired. I remember operas when I was like three, four years old. Like, is there stuff like that that you recall? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, back when I was a kid, we didn't have genres so much as they have today. Um, we had gospel music, we had R&B, I guess we had country and Western, we had classical, you know, and I, I was exposed to all of that, uh, primarily because I decided at a pretty young age I wanted to be a musician. So I started taking you know piano lessons, and then I joined the school band and switched to uh, trumpet at that point. So I I played a lot of classical music, a lot of jazz music, and that was my main exposure for quite a while. So I got a little older and I, I really discovered rock and roll, you know, and, and it uh, kind of took my imagination, you know, at that point. What was the first time that you discovered, like, do you remember when there was like a, like a time where you were like, oh my God, I want to be a musician or I want to play music? Like, what was the first instrument yeah. that you remember messing around with? Uh, piano, really. Yeah, uh, we had a piano in the house, and piano gives you a instant gratification because you hit. It's easy to push the note, you know, the key down, and you have an instant note. You don't have to have any kind of skill, you know, like you would playing a guitar or a saxophone or something like that. And piano was very easy, and it, it made mathematical sense to my mind at the time. So uh, that was really my first discovery of, of uh, instrument. Very cool. If this is alluding to the beginning of uh, your first album, if you could go back in time, right, and see yourself at like twelve years old, right, and twelve-year-old Jeff is in front of you, what would you? What kind of advice would you give yourself, twelve years old, back in the day, if you were able to go back in time and just be like, "Hey, by the way, 
Well, oh, that's hard to do because there's always consequences to all your decisions, you know. Part of me, as you were asking me that question, I was thinking that I wouldn't spend so much time, you know, learning arithmetic and math and, and algebra and all that stuff. And I wouldn't have tried out for any sports teams or anything like that. It was a waste of time. It didn't help me in what I do, you know, as my life's work. But then again, all those things kind of shape you as a person. All your experiences sort of, uh, you know, work to make you the person you are. So, uh it's hard for me to uh, answer that question. Maybe I would give myself the advice of uh, learn more about music, you know, learn, okay. uh, learn the basics earlier on, I guess, you know. But I started when I was nine. I mean, how much younger do you want to get? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's, what were you doing at six? How dare you with the crayons? What's matter? <laughs> yeah. Crayons are a waste of time. <laughs> Uh, you started singing, uh, well, so it's like you started with cover bands, right? As Jeff Waterfall for the band Tyrant. Is this how you started, like with? Well, I started playing in cover bands, and because they were the, at the time, they were the, I guess the your entry into rock music at the time. There were very few people that I was came into contact with that were playing their own music. But that was really what I was interested in, was uh, developing my own music and working with people that were interested in that. And it, it didn't really take me too long to find uh, groups of people that were into that. Um, I think my first forays into writing original music were probably in the late 70s. And uh, that, of course, led me to other people that were doing that and other people that were doing that and so it uh it all kind of compounded in fact some of the people that i've i've written music with and and shared a stage with um like kelly gray and randy gain we started working together in 1978 you know writing material and uh and we still work together on occasion today you know 45 50 years later you know that's beautiful that's awesome was this in the first, uh, so was Babylon the first band where it was original music that like you were like, oh cool, like no, original. That was, that was probably number four. Okay, what was the first point. one? Yeah. Oh, um, I tried to remember the name of the band actually, and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's lost, yeah, it's lost. But it was like uh, maybe two years before that before Babylon, before Myth. Um, I was working with uh, a group of people that were from the east side of Seattle. Um, ah, no, I can't remember the name of the band. Ah, not important, really. Nothing ever happened with it. Oh, that's okay. Just, yeah. So we have a, um, a wide audience, right? And so from for like aspiring musicians that are like starting off, a lot of musicians do start off with like either karaoke or cover bands and just stuff to kind of get their groove on and then feel comfortable where they're like, all right, now we're going to start doing original songwriting. What was your first experience like in collective songwriting for like a, a musician that was, you know, that's thinking about maybe venturing out with their own, but they're, you know, still in that like perhaps timid phase of being able to work with other people with original music. How did like any any uh, words of advice for anybody that would be on that cusp of like, oh man, I want to start doing my own thing, but they're not, you know, like there yet. They haven't found the right. Oh, I'd just say 
learn as much as you can about it and do it all yourself, you know, until you stumble across somebody that you can relate to musically and artistically and, you know, um, personality wise in order to, uh, you know, um, what's the word, uh, work together. Uh, can't remember the word right now. Collaborate me. <laughs> yeah, collaborate. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I think, I think that nowadays you can do so much on your own, you know, you don't really need to collaborate with somebody, but in my experience, uh, collaboration is, uh, is really helpful, you know, to push you beyond what you're capable of, you know? Nice. What did it feel like when you found out that the demo that you guys had recorded with the mob was going to be released as an EP on 206 Records? What was that like? Like coming back to like, oh my god, like we're we're getting our uh, like something out on a record label. What was that feeling like for you when that first happened? Well, it was a long buildup, so it, it didn't really have one of those eureka type moments. You know, it was uh, something that we'd been working at and when we got together with our our first management company the harrises uh it was their idea for us to put that demo tape out as an ep and um their connections into the record industry and the record sales industry was uh was uh re really instrumental you know in making that happen for us and i always owe them a, a debt of gratitude for uh you know their vision and their belief in us at the time and it was a, but yeah, it was a, a lot of stuff to think out because we had to change the name of the band. Uh, we had to come up with album artwork and, you know, photography and uh, all the stuff that comes with the presentation, you know. So I think at the time, my head was really uh, obsessed with that, you know, getting all those details taken care of. Uh, but it wasn't, I think um, all of us, uh, well, three of us were working at a, a, a resistor manufacturer at the time uh, having day jobs to support our music habit, you know, and uh, we listened to the radio all the time at the workplace. And uh, one day our song came on the radio and they said, this is a new band from the Seattle area called Queens, And our song started out and we were freaking out, you know, cause that's a, a major, major milestone right there. And, uh, and I remember that being uh, an incredible feeling of uh, exhilaration, accomplishment, uh, camaraderie with the band. You know, it was all of those things. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so we know that you've done a ton of stuff since old school Creamsmark, right? But we're gigantic fans, obviously, of Operation Mindcrime and Empire. The current tour that you're on right now is celebrating the 30-year anniversary of Empire. Um, are you guys uh, so are, are you doing the whole album Jeff or are you just yeah doing... no the way that's album, awesome yeah. very yeah, very cool so fun it's so fun I'm glad that I get to do it and um, we're because uh, a lot of those songs on the record I guess probably four of them perhaps were songs that I never got to play live with Queensryche so, typically you know when you have an album out you play your singles and maybe you add one deep cut or something like that per tour and then you and you focus on your next album that you have coming out right and so you don't get to play a lot of your other stuff you know so uh this has been a real treat to finally get to play everything you know 
That's amazing. That's I, that must be, and that's awesome that even this, this many years forward, it's like it's that yes, fine, like that you have that that uh, that excitement of being able to play these tracks. That's that's really great. well. I tell you, a lot of it is the audience makes it very exciting uh, for me because I, of course, sense their enthusiasm and and they know all the words, right? So if I get stuck and I can't remember, I just read their lips and I know where I'm at, you know, in the, in the song. <laughs> um, since we're doing the Unfair Album Tour, can you tell us about the songwriting and recording process of the epic seminal track, Silent Lucidity? What was it like to work with Michael Kamen? How did this happen? Well, we had... Uh, we had worked with Michael Kamen um, previously on uh, uh, the Operation Mind Crime album. He contributed uh, to Sweet Sister Mary on that. And uh, before that, on the Warning album, which is where we first met him in London, working with James Guthrie. Uh, and we met him at Abbey Road Studios, where we recorded uh, orchestral tracks uh, for Roads to Madness and I think No Sanctuary off that album. Now, fast forward up to 1989, 1990. We were working on the Empire album, and uh, Chris and I, DeGarmo, Chris DeGarmo and I were having this conversation, which we often did about what was happening with our, our lives and all this. And he was a new parent at the time, and he told me that uh, his uh, daughter kept having these nightmares, and they would wake her up. And so he was, he was uh, kind of perplexed as to how to handle it, you know? And uh, I was not a parent at the time, and I really didn't have any helpful advice, you know, that I could give him. But uh, we both happened to be reading the same book at the time about uh, lucid dreaming. And we started, we segued into that conversation about what the book was like and how to control your dreams. And, uh, you know, if there's a, if there's a monster in your dreams, uh, plant flowers in its hair because all that's possible in the dream world, you know? And uh, we finished our conversation for that day. And the next day he came back with silent lucidity, the song, and he played it for me and we, we loved it. Um, and we recorded a demo version of it and we prepared it with the band. And when we, uh, maybe a month or two later, we were in the studio working with uh, Peter Collins, our producer. And, he didn't feel like the song measured up to the rest of the songs on the album. And he suggested that perhaps we uh, put that away for a while and, uh, or scrap it all together, save it for another record. He didn't feel it was that well developed, you know? And, and Chris didn't like that idea. And he went home that night and uh, contacted Michael Kamen and uh, both of them came up with this beautiful orchestration part. Um, it was just gorgeous. And uh, when Peter heard it, he said, oh, okay, that, that song is finished. That's, that's a great song, and that's got to be on the album. And I'm so happy that he said that, because we weren't planning on doing anything orchestral with that song. And it was just going to be, um, you know, kind of an acoustic guitar voice kind of presentation, you know. And uh, with Michael's help, it really push the track into a whole different realm, you know, and I'm, I'm very happy about that. Of course, it, it really was uh, the huge single on the album that really pushed the album over the edge, you know. That's amazing. I had no idea that is 
awesome. That was very, very, very cool. Um, what was it like when you found out that you guys were being nominated for Grammys? Oh, uh, yeah, what was that like? I think it happened at the same time as we were asked to play the Grammys. So it was kind of like, you know, that was more exciting to us to be able okay. to play. Um, but when you guys did nominated. the track, were, were you thinking about it? Were you like, you know what, this might have a... Did, did you feel that? I mean, every artist like thinks that, right? Like, you know, like Balloon's like, oh man, we just did this awesome monster track. Sometimes for some songs. Were you in that, like, is that what the, like, vibe was when you guys finished that and said, oh, shit, what did we just do? This is insane. No, no, you, I, I, you know, I feel that way about every record and about every <laughs> song. It's every record you do, to me, is a huge accomplishment. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to take ideas from here and translate them into music and then do that 11 or 12 times <laughs> you know it's yeah. a it's a huge undertaking and i i always feel incredibly uh fulfilled and successful when whenever that happens you know um and this was no different i felt great about the song i felt great about uh the album when it came out and then of course when it started getting um, a lot of attention that that was great you know it was an, an unexpected but fantastic but i tell you when when we played the grammys we got some disturbing news. Um, when we accepted, uh, they asked for our sync tape and we didn't know what that was. What, what are you talking about? Well, come to find out, you know, they expected us to lip sync to our song and that's the way everybody did it on the show. And, and we said, well, but we play live. We're a live band. We want to play it live. And they were like, well, well you can't play it live. And, it, and this was back and forth for a couple months with our management, you know, trying to, you know, make it happen and, and uh, make the situation happen. Anyway, we got our way and we played it live. And we were like the only band on the show playing live, right? And they had to make all these special arrangements for us and all this. We had a 40-piece orchestra. We had Michael Kamen conducting, you know. <laughs> all this was going on. It was, it was quite amazing that uh, the whole thing happened, I guess. But I was completely unaware. I thought everybody played live on the Grammys, you know. I wasn't. I didn't think they'd lip sync, but so many people do nowadays. That's awesome. That's and groundbreaking the Grammys, right? Because that would establish for future bands to be like, no, they did it with an orchestra. We can do it live too. Yeah, why can't we do it? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what does it feel like when and this is not from like, you know, like a pompous, arrogant, feeding ego standpoint, but just reality. Just realities of like, what does it feel like when you like look back and you like, holy shit, we've sold 20, over 20 million albums worldwide with, with your voice on it. It's collective. Like, what does that feel like when you, how does it, what kind of perspective do you put on that? I never think about that, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> never, ever, ever. <laughs> but when like, when it gets mentioned to you, right? Like what's, what is like just now, like, what is, is it just like, eh? Like that's cool, but like I mean, because that's a, that's a, just a great accomplishment, you know. Like there's no no one can take that away from you, no matter what. Your life it got done, you know. So it's like, wow, holy, like that's that's yeah. I, I guess I could get pretty uh, deep into thinking about that, and it might take up you know several weeks of my life. Uh, 
being preoccupied with my own greatness, but <laughs> oh god, I can't even go down that path. Yeah, it's just no, too. You're not good. It's too weird. Yeah, I prefer okay. to be like think of uh, of myself in in the now, you know, and enjoy life around me and uh, my family and my friends and my band and uh, my business associates and just really try to stay, you know, in, in what is uh, my current reality rather than focus on the past, you know. Speaking of family, family is also everything to me. You have an amazing relationship with your family. Uh, where your wife Susan is your manager. How did you and Susan meet? Uh, we met at a party for, that was thrown by mutual friends, and uh, we were immediately attracted to each other. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we were both married at the time <laughs> to other people, <laughs> uh, and when both of our marriages came to an end, we sought each other out immediately, and we uh, got together and have been together ever since. That's awesome. And it, uh, Nelson and I work on a lot of projects together. Um, we've been best friends for 30 years. And uh, yeah, we, it's really nice when you have, you know, family, somebody that you know is always going to be there for you to, to help in whatever situation is, but especially in certain business situations, it's really, really awesome. Yeah, I, I think it is very beneficial to have somebody watching your back and, and uh, having your best interests uh, at heart, you know, and um, although, you know, we, we all are in different situations where perhaps we sign contracts with managers and partners and this kind of thing, it, there's, there's nothing like that, uh, that wedding ring on your finger to <laughs> solidify you, you know, it, to having the confidence that that person is uh, on your side, you know. Definitely. Um, so 20 years ago, you had the big breakup issues with everything in the, everyone in the band with the Queens, right? Separation of the brand name and everything. Your song lyrics have always been very philosophical. You've taken a lot of, of fearless stances in some of your, your songs, as far as tackling issues that a lot of songwriters stay away from. Frankly, they just don't want to even go there, you know? Uh, and, and you have some deep themes when everything was going down with the, you know, Queens, right? brand separation and everything what did it feel like from from you to like kind of be in the eye of a storm instead of you know being able to like say hey this is what's going on in different themes of songs i i remember the first time i ever heard the song empire from the record empire and that had such a huge impact on me from a wow holy shit this guy's you know singing about things social issues on a rock metal track cool awesome oh my god it was like a precursor to like rage against the machine and all sorts of a lot of things where it's like wow okay cool we can sing a, like someone's gonna sing about stuff that's like going on in the world this is amazing being in that situation where it was like ah oh, you know and a lot of a lot of uh, uh you know eyes and focus on on you and queen's and everything that was going on what what was that like how did you deal with that <laughs> well, I, I tried to deal with it uh, civilly, but uh, it was a very difficult situation. And um, it was not uh, how I ever envisioned 
the band um, ending up, you know. I uh, always felt that what we did was, um, would, we would still continue to do it, you know, into our old age and we would retire gracefully with a, a wonderful reputation and a body of work that uh, we could all be proud of, you know. And uh, at least that's where my head was at. And uh, it's shocking when you find out that uh, the people that you're sharing this vision with, with you don't really share that vision with you you know so uh yeah it was uh it was difficult to to deal with um with what was happening uh, i think it all worked out really well and uh you know both parties uh walked away from the situation um you know uh happy with what uh transpired in the end you know and um yeah, and I, in retrospect, I, I wish I would have uh, perhaps um, split from the band earlier on in my, in my career. And uh, it, I think it probably would have been um, a better thing for me, you know. And uh, I don't know, I'm glad it's all over. You know, it's been 10 years and I'm so happy now. And uh doing my own thing and it still hasn't really changed at all. <laughs> I'm still touring the world, still playing shows for my audience and uh, uh, trying new things live and still making albums. Uh, nothing's really changed except my name is now on the reader board instead of Queensryche, you know? Yeah. The branding, the, that's, that's it. But like fans know, uh, you know, who you are. Right. And it's, you, there's, they know you're a legend, so that's a good thing. <laughs> There's, you still Apparently. have that clout. <laughs> uh, you recently did a cover of Shine On You Crazy Diamond, all the parts for a Big Floyd tribute album. You are, so are you going to be you, doing a solo album? Do you have plans for a solo album in the future? Now that we're in singles one at a time on Spotify, what's going on with you and new material for yourself? I've got loads of new material. Yeah, I, I, I'm so busy. I, I can barely pay attention, you know. Um, I have a, a solo album that's pretty close to being finished. Um, I have all kinds of offers from other people to do guest appearances on their record. I just did um, a guest appearance on Avantasia's new album, uh, sang two songs with Toby that were really cool um a couple years ago i started this project called sweet oblivion and we've done two albums together uh, typically they're italian artists and we work together to make the album and we're getting ready to start on our third one now so i've got that going on <laughs> so yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty swamped with uh awesome. musical awesome. activity you know so if you're going to be swapped with musical itinerary, it'd be nice to have some wine once in a while, right? So let's talk about your winery that you have with Susan. Is it Insania? Is that how it's pronounced? Insania. Insania, okay. So yeah. uh, you, you started making dandelion wine as a Boy Scout when you were 14 years old, right? And now yeah. you have your own winery with your wife. How did, where was it where you guys were like decided we're going to launch our own winery? 
Well, it was after many drinks one night. <laughs> we were uh, we were uh, celebrating with some friends of ours that are winemakers in the, in the Seattle area, and uh, we hit on this idea that we'd like to do our own brand. And uh, so the next day when we sobered up, the idea still seemed like a good one. And so we launched it. It was 2007, our first vintage came out. And since then, we've switched locations where the, the wine is made. Uh, we now uh, produce our wine out of Germany. Um, Susan's relatives, uh, the Rinkland family, own a beautiful beautiful uh, vineyard and winery in a, a small German village called Eichstetten. It's in the southwest of Germany. It's kind of on the border between France and Switzerland, right there in that little triangle. It's uh, part of the Alsace uh, wine region. And we make a Pinot Noir and a Pinot Grigio, a red and a white. Uh, both are called Insania. And uh, we love it. Every year we have a, a wine harvest festival in October, where we have a big party and a celebration and people show up at the winery from all over the world to uh, drink wine and listen to me tell stories. I usually play a set of music and we have other people show up, other musicians show up and kind of have a jam night. It's gotten so big that uh, the village wants us to move it to someplace bigger. <laughs> well, all the neighbors get involved too and they all come and it's a, it's a, it's a week long celebration. Really. We have a great time. But uh, I enjoy it very much. Awesome. And for everybody who's watching on Jeff's website, jefftate.com, you can actually in advance, right, uh, reserve your spot to go in October in Germany. This year is the seventh annual Harvest Festival where you taste wines, eat fabulous food. And what's about, I saw out there that there's a petting monkeys thing going on there too. That the, why not? <laughs> Just throw that in there as well and hang out with Jeff Tate. That's amazing. So that's on jefftate.com for everybody who's watching. Um, Jeff, when you think about all the places on the planet that you visited, are there any places that you didn't expect? I mean, I'm sure that there are, but are there ones that, like, when you weren't expecting anything, like, oh, wow, I am going to be blown away by that place that you went to when you with all your travels? Well, this time, um, I'm going to Costa Rica to visit with you and to play <laughs> a show. Nice and it'll look. be the first time, it'll be the first time that I've been there. So I'm, uh, oh, I'm wow. really looking forward to that. Um, let's see. Uh, gosh, I, I've traveled pretty extensively. I got 65 countries under my belt so far. Uh, I love to travel. I love going places. I love meeting new people. I love having the experiences and sightseeing. In fact, uh, tomorrow we're going to, uh, we're renting a car and we're driving up into the Andes Mountains to uh, a remote lake to see if we can go swimming <laughs> in this, in this uh, snow-fed lake. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, gosh, I, uh, I love everywhere I've been, really. I prefer, well, I prefer... Uh, I prefer countryside to cities because uh, let's face it all cities by city by city. So much of them are all the same nowadays. You know, they've got the same box stores and brand names and restaurants and Cincinnati looks a lot like Veracruz, you know, I mean, it's, uh, right. it's really similar. 
But when you get into the outside areas, the rural areas, that's where you really see the place, you know? And uh, so I like to take the back roads. What's your uh, food like when you're on tour? Do you have favorite food? All right, a couple of questions. So is there a favorite food that in all your travels, you can't wait to tour there because you're like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to go back to <laughs> blank to eat blank. <laughs> That's the first part. Well, I'm a foodie. I love food. Um, and I love uh, trying different uh, things, different cuisine. And I, I eat whatever is available in the place that I'm at. You know, uh, typically I'll, I'll go for uh, what's local. And uh, we try to do... Susan and I both, we kind of research out really cool places that we could find that, that, uh, have the same maybe food philosophy that we do. You know, we like to pair wine with food. And, uh, so we're kind of more, I guess, aligned with that kind of thinking, you know, and, uh, geez, uh, my favorites. Well, I, I really look forward to Italy or <laughs> I'm going in a, in a couple of weeks, going to Italy. Can't wait for that. They have amazing cuisine there. We've just really been, uh, since we've been in uh, Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo um, and Santiago, we've been really experienced Brazilian food and Spanish food here, which is amazing. Uh, yeah, I, everywhere I go, I, I try things. I, there's nothing I won't try. I've even eaten tarantula. <laughs> tarantula? Where did you have tarantula? Yes. In uh, oh, Cambodia. Yeah. And I would eat it again. It was actually oh, quite nice. Surprising. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that it. I, I, same thing. I'm a hardcore foodie. I've tried a lot of random stuff. Never had tarantula. I'm not. I wouldn't be scared to try it. But yeah, that sounds well, very. I, I was really uh, slightly scared <laughs> to try it, <laughs> but once I had it in my mouth, I was shocked because I thought it would be like brittle and shatter and be filled with you know some kind of foul liquid, and it wasn't like that at all. It was like. Uh, Eating uh, teriyaki chicken. Okay, all right. I guess all I guess all things taste like chicken, don't they? At the end of they the say. <laughs> what what music are you listening to these days? It doesn't matter what type. Like, what do you have on your playlist this morning or yesterday? Like, when you're listening to music, like, what, what are you listening to now? Hmm. Well, predominantly, I'm listening to my own stuff uh, okay. when I'm working on a project. I uh, I get pretty preoccupied with my own music and I'm listening to it over and over again and making changes. And the beauty about living in the 21st century is that you can take your recording studio with you at all times, you know, and I have it in my bag and uh, I have it set up in my hotel room. And whenever I'm working on a project, it's at my fingertips, you know, so I can try this and try that. I can experiment. I can delete and send uh, it's amazing. And I, I love being in this time and age. Very cool. Um, did I answer your question? Probably not, did I? I bypassed well, it, didn't I? <laughs> you, no, you didn't. You're listening to your stuff right now so you can get that stuff out there. I, we, you got, we got yeah. it. Any new bands or bands that you've been listening to, like in your travels, that you've been able to check out or opening acts where you were like, oh, shit, these guys are good? Oh, there's this band from uh, Sheffield, England that I'm pretty obsessed with right now um, uh, called Bring Me the Horizon. Oh, yeah. They're, they've got a few albums out and I 
it's very rare that I like a band or an artist um, more than a couple songs from them, you know, but I like almost every song from these guys. They're great. And I've listened to them live before and uh, my band really likes them and we kind of jam on some of their stuff at Soundcheck and it's fun to sing, you know. That's awesome. Very, very cool. Uh, want to close with this, which you alluded to earlier. You were a big sports fan, football player in high school, and then you got hurt, right? Do you still follow sports or kind of sort of or a little bit? Well, uh, to, to make it the correct story, I, I never was a big sports fan, uh, okay. and I didn't play high school football. I played briefly junior high uh, football, which makes me like what? 13 years old. <laughs> so yeah, okay. I, wasn't, I wasn't very good at it. And uh, I'm not a big person. So it, it was uh, definitely a, uh, uh, a sport that, uh, you know, you need some size, you know, to be excel in, I think. Uh, no, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy the World Cup, um, you know, uh, European football. I like hurling, uh, Irish hurling. I watch that quite a bit. Um, I enjoy combat sports you know like uh um brazilian jiu-jitsu and things like that my my grandsons participate in that and so they're constantly sending sending me little videos of what they're doing and their competitions which is really interesting uh what my my oldest grandson is like the most mellow um passive sort of personality he's kind of a thinker right but he just excels when he gets into uh um the Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, competition, and he just flays people. It's amazing to watch the contrast, you know, between this gentle kind of soul to this, like, absolute warrior <laughs> that happens when he puts on the outfit, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. We really appreciate it. Jeff is performing this Wednesday at Peppers with Slavon in san jose costa rica uh looking forward to meeting you at the show uh thank you again so much for taking the time with us today we wish you a wonderful tour and an amazing stay in costa rica while you're here well thank you very much i enjoyed myself thanks for the awesome. conversation thank you jeff thank you so much all right bye-bye now